The Guardian. Hi everybody, I'm Annabelle Pitcher and you're listening to the Guardian Children's Book Podcast. And today I'm going to be reading from my new novel, Ketchup Clouds. It's the opening section of the novel and it's about a girl called Zoe who's done something terrible and the worst thing is she's got away with it and a few months later she's living with all this guilt and she doesn't know if to confess or not so that's how the novel begins. Dear Mr S Harris, ignore the blob of red in the top left corner. It's jam not blood though I don't think I need to tell you the difference. It wasn't your wife's jam the police found on your shoe. The jam in the corner's from my sandwich. Homemade raspberry. Gran made it. She's been dead seven years and making that jam was the last thing she did. Sort of. If you ignore the weeks she spent in hospital attached to one of those heart things that goes beep, beep if you're lucky or beep if you're not. That was the sound echoing round the hospital room seven years ago. Beep. My little sister was born six months later and dad named her after Gran. Dorothy Constance. When Dad stopped grieving, he decided to shorten it. My sister is small and round, so we ended up calling her Dot. My other sister, Soph, is ten. They've both got long blonde hair and green eyes and pointy noses, but Soph is tall and thin and darker skin like Dot's been rolled out and crisped in the oven for ten minutes. I'm different. Brown hair, brown eyes, medium height, medium weight. Ordinary, I suppose. To look at me, you'd never guess my secret. I struggled to eat the sandwich in the end. The jam wasn't off or anything because it lasts for years in sterilised jars. At least that's what Dad says when Mum turns up her nose. It's pointy too. Her hair's the same colour as my sister's but shorter and a bit wavy. Dad's is more like mine except with grey bits above his ears and he's got this thing called heterochromia which means one eye's brown but the other's lighter. Blue if it's bright outside, grey if it's overcast. The sky in a socket, I once said. And Dad's got these dimples right in the middle of his cheeks. And I don't know if any of this really matters, but I suppose it's good to give you a picture of my family before I tell you what I came in here to say. Because I am going to say it. I'm not sitting in this shed for the fun of it. It's bloody freezing and Mum would kill me if she knew I was out of bed. But it's a good place to write this letter, hidden away behind some trees. Don't ask me what type, but they've got big leaves that are rustling in the breeze. Swish. Actually, that sounds nothing like them. There's jam on my fingers so the pen's sticky. I bet the cat's whiskers are too. Lloyd and Webber meowed as if they couldn't quite believe their luck that the sky was raining sandwiches when I chucked it over the hedge. I wasn't hungry anymore. In actual fact, I never was. And if I'm being honest, I only made the sandwich in the first place to put off starting this letter. No offence or anything, Mr Harris. It's just difficult. And I'm tired. I haven't really slept since May the 1st. There's no danger of me dropping off in here. The box of tiles is digging into my thighs and a draught is blowing through a gap underneath the shed door. I need to get a move on because just my luck the torch is running out of battery. I tried holding it between my teeth but my jaw started to ache so now it's balancing near a spiderweb on the windowsill. I don't normally sit in the shed, especially not at 2am, but tonight the voice in my head is louder than ever before. The images are more real and my pulse is racing, racing, racing and I bet if my heart were attached to one of those hospital things all the fast thumping would break it. When I got out of bed, my pyjama top was sticking to my back and my mouth was drier than probably a desert. 
That's when I put your name and address in my dressing gown pocket and tipped it outside. And now I'm here, face to face with all this blank paper, determined to tell you my secret, but not sure how to say it. I got your contact details off a death row website, and I found the website because of a nun, and that's not a sentence I ever thought I'd write, but then my life isn't exactly turning out the way I'd imagined. There was a picture of you looking friendly for someone in an orange jumpsuit with a shaved head, thick glasses and a scar down one cheek. Yours wasn't the only profile I clicked on. There are hundreds of criminals who want pen pals. Hundreds. But you stood out. All that stuff about your family disowning you so you haven't had any posts for 11 years. All that stuff about your guilt. Not that I believe in God, but I went to confession to get rid of my guilt after triple checking on Wikipedia that the priest wouldn't be able to say anything to the police. But when I sat down in the booth and saw his silhouette through the grill, I couldn't speak. There I was about to confess to a man who'd never done anything wrong in his life, except for maybe having an extra sip of communion wine on a bad day. Unless he was one of those priests who fiddled with children, in which case he would have known all about sin. But I couldn't be sure, so I didn't risk it. You're much safer. And you sort of remind me of Harry Potter, to be honest. I can't remember when the first book came out, if it was before or after your murder trial, But anyway, in case you're confused, Harry Potter has a scar and glasses, and you have a scar and glasses, and he never got any post either. But then all of a sudden he received a mysterious letter saying he was a wizard, and his life was miraculously transformed. Now, you're probably reading this in your cell wondering, am I about to be told I have magical powers? And if the website is anything to go by, I bet you're imagining healing every single one of those stab wounds in your wife. Well, sorry to disappoint you in all that, But I'm just an ordinary teenage girl, not the headmaster of a school of witchcraft and wizardry. Trust me though, if this biro was a wand, then I'd give you the magic to bring your wife right back to life, because that is the thing we have in common. I know what it's like. Mine wasn't a woman, mine was a boy. And I killed him three months ago exactly. Do you want to know the worst thing? I got away with it. No one's found out that I'm responsible. No one has a clue. And I'm walking round saying all the right things and doing all the right stuff. But inside I'm sort of screaming. I daren't tell mum or dad or my sister because I don't want to be disowned and I don't want to go to prison even though I deserve it. So you see, Mr Harris, I'm less brave than you. So don't feel too bad when you go for the lethal injection. Which I wouldn't worry about because when my dog was put to sleep it really did look peaceful. The website says you'll never forgive yourself but at least now you know there are people in the world far worse than you. You had the guts to own up to your mistake, but I'm too much of a coward even to reveal my real identity in a letter. So yeah, you can call me Zoe. You mentioned this is your your second novel, and your first book, My Sister Lives on the Mantelpiece, Mm. just burst onto the scene in the running for numerous prizes, including the Guardian's own Children Fiction Prize. How did it feel to try and follow that up? How, was, it, was this a hard book to come up with and yes. to write? Um, it was really difficult. Um, the first book was incredibly easy. I got the idea quite spontaneously. The whole story sort of fell into my head. I wrote it whilst I was travelling. Um, I sent it to two agents. One liked it. And then it got published. So everything just felt really easy with it. And the second book couldn't have been more different. I think just I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, I wanted it to be as good as mantelpiece as my sister's on the mantelpiece um and it was it was difficult because i felt under immense pressure just from my own kind of that i'd put on myself so yeah that was hard 
But did you always know that it was going to be this book, this story, or did you have a, a few ideas that you were playing around with? No, I'm not blessed with a lot of ideas, <laughs> actually, the truth is. I'm always jealous of those writers that say, I never know what to write next. I've always got five different books in my head, and I always only ever have about a quarter of a book in my head. <laughs> so it was really difficult. I kind of had the seed of a story, but I had to work quite hard to put it all together and work out how I was going to write it. So nothing about it was spontaneous, actually. It was, it was hard work. And what was the seed of that story? Was it Zoe? Was it the character? Or was it the letters? It was, it was the idea that I wanted to write a love story, really. That's what I felt really drawn to writing about next. I wanted to write about love and I wanted to write about secrets and I wanted to write about guilt. That was what I felt drawn to doing. Um, and then I just had to kind of come up with the characters that allowed me to explore that. So it was the themes, I think, actually, that came first with this book rather than the plot. Mm. And then the letters. Why? The, the, the story is told through, through mm. the letters to the, the death row mm. prisoner. Is that a, um, something you found easy to do? I didn't find it easy to come up with that element of the novel, but once I decided upon it, I knew I was doing it right. I think when, when you're writing easily, you know it's the right thing. That's how, that's how it feels for me anyway. And I played around with so many different ways of doing the book. I had diaries, I had it... As an old woman, she was writing, looking back on her life. She was, um, so retrospectively, she was writing sometimes in the present tense as well. I tried that for a while. And I was just playing with the idea and trying to find the best possible way of doing it. And as soon as I hit upon the idea of doing it in letters, the whole thing, I just wanted to keep writing. So I knew that that was the right way to do the book. And are you a big letter writer? Have you ever sent well, letters I, to a death row prisoner? Yes, I have, actually. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You expect me to say no. Yeah, <laughs> No, I did. For a, for a short while, when I was 18, I had a pen pal on death row. That was kind of where the idea came from. I did it as part of an Amnesty International scheme. It wasn't that I necessarily wanted to write to a prisoner, but I wanted to do something in protest. You know, I felt quite strongly at the time, and I still do, that capital punishment is wrong. So it was as part of a scheme. Um, I, I, I did write to a guy on death row. Um, and the funny thing is, when you're writing to somebody on death row, because they've done something so much worse than you, you can actually be very open about your own life because you're not trying to keep up appearances in any way. And because you're never going to meet them, you can actually be quite open. So you develop this weird sort of intimacy, I suppose. Mm. Um, and so it seemed right. If Zoe's got a secret, I thought he'd be the ideal person to kind of receive the letters. Tell me a bit more about Zoe, because I have to confess, she, she's not the most likeable character oh, no. that you've ever written. Oh, oh, is that a surprise? Yeah, I think she's likeable. Yeah, I do. Ah. Did you find her selfish, perhaps? Mm. Yeah, I mean, she is, but I don't think she's any more or less selfish than just anybody else. You know, she's she desperately wants to be popular, and I remember having that feeling at school. I was never the most popular I had friends I wasn't bullied or anything I you know I had a nice time at school but I I was never sort of one of the in crowd and I I remember thinking oh it would be nice to kind of have that popularity and Zoe has an element of that within her but I think her true nature is is a bit too sort of quirky to, to ever really fit in and she's much more so Max is kind of representing the kind of popularity and her, her need to kind of fit in, and Aaron represents something very different, and she's naturally more drawn to Aaron, who's a bit more different, and he's also slightly on the outside of things. So 
And she has two sisters. She does, as, yeah. as you as you mentioned in the in the first letter. And the youngest one, Dot, is interesting because she's deaf, and so yes. we have sign language in the book. Yeah, that was quite hard. Yeah, when I was doing Dot's dialogue um, to make it sound like natural speech, I I, I kind of played with her quite a lot, um, trying to work out whether I should change the way that. I communicated her speech in the book because to reflect the fact that it was sign language rather than spoken words. But I decided to make the story flow and to make it sound authentic, just to have her, to try and capture her voice, even though she's actually doing it with her hands. And as well as the the secret and the love story, the, the family is at the centre of this book, yes. much as it, it was in, in yeah, your last yeah. book. And you're, you're, you're very good at describing family situations and relationships and... Mm dynamics but I really love writing about um, families I just think it's so interesting these sort of the closeness and the, you know every family has its own sort of dynamic that's you know completely different to any other family and there are the resentments and their loyalties and the betrayals and you know all that is going on within sort of a house between five or six people it's really interesting as a writer I think to try and capture that and the moods of a family and sometimes you you know you have an alliance with one person and then you might switch allegiance and go with somebody else and I think because I'm from a big family that definitely happens sometimes I was my sister my older sister's best friend and then I'd turn on her and go off with my brother or they would turn on me and it, I think it, that all happens and what was interesting about writing this is Zoe's at that age where she's starting to realise that her parents have a life outside being parents and, and I wanted to try and capture that um, with Zoe. Mm-hmm. Which you can do because she's older than yes. the main character in, in your, your previous book. Yes. Is that yeah. an age that you like writing about? I just like writing about young people in general. Um, there's not any particular age that I'm drawn to. I found it easier, I think, to write from a 10-year-old boy's perspective than a 15-year-old girl's because there's more innocence there and I think you're more on Jamie's side than you are on Zoe's. I see both books really as a coming-of-age novel. Jamie comes of age in in a certain way even though he's only 10 and I think Zoe does in this as well. So what's coming next? What have we got to look forward to with with book three? It's really cool actually. I'm really enjoying it. Second book was hard to write. Third book is is proving to be really easy which is great and it's about two boys and it's a destructive friendship between them so if you imagine if you know Othello the Shakespeare play um, it's loosely based on the dynamic between Othello and Iago in Othello what we see is the main character of Othello in some ways he's really confident but he has these vulnerabilities that allow another man Iago to completely manipulate him and lead him off down this very dark path and that has always fascinated me and I thought it'd be really interesting to try and put that in a modern day context and make them teenagers and think how could one teenager manipulate another I think you hear on the news quite a lot when teenagers have done something terrible like shootings in America or whatever it might be often there's a ringleader and somebody who's kind of blindly followed and I started to think I wonder what would what would happen between these two people to make that possible what was the friendship like in the beginning? How was it twisted to become something? How is somebody so manipulated that they know they're doing something wrong, but they do it anyway? And just one last question. The title, Ketchup Clouds. Yes. 
That the title came really soon. You need a title like um, the, when you're talking to people about it, and they're like, "Oh, what's this book called?" And it just seemed right from the beginning because, in my head, at the very beginning, I imagined this scene between Zoe gets herself into a bit of a love triangle situation, and I imagined one of the important scenes to be happening at sunset. I just had this real strong image. In in fact, it never actually ever made it into the book at all. But I just had this real image of it, and I. I wanted to call it something to do with a sunset and twilight has obviously been used. <laughs> the book is about endings and it's about beginnings, so we have the idea of sun setting and sun rising and all that sort of stuff. So I was trying to think of an unusual way of describing a sunset. So I came up with clouds and then I came up with red clouds, scarlet clouds, tomato clouds, and then I eventually settled on ketchup, which I think kind of captures the tone of the book quite nicely. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.